This is Women With Books, a collection of conversations about your favorite books, media, and all of the fabulous things in life. Curated by me, author Lindsay Emery. I'm so glad you're a part of today's chat. Hey everyone, this is Lindsay. I almost did not record an introduction to this podcast episode because, well, it's summertime and I'm, I'm getting lazier by the day. Um, but I did want to remind everyone, if you haven't already, to check out the last episode and my blog post on lindsayemory.com about the Summer Reading Challenge. I would love to know, how's that going for everyone? If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I took a week-long cruise and I read so many good books. I think the total was four but I started a fifth, I'd I'd have to go look at that. Um, And I know a lot of you probably read four books a week all the time and, and, you know, think I'm I'm lame because I think that's cool. But uh, for me, that's awesome because I rarely get the chance to do that. And it was really fun for me. One of the books that I mentioned on my blog in May... I'm mentioning again in today's interview with Lauren Lane. It's the first in her new series. It's called Passion on Park Avenue. And I recommended it in May on my um, monthly best books to read now blog post. And Lauren and I talked about it today in our episode. And, you know, I was thinking about this and I, I thought maybe some of you might wonder sometimes if I really mean uh mean my recommendations if I'm, I'm being authentic and, and sincere um, because I recommend books on my blog, my social media, and here on the podcast. But um, just like a little story, I was talking to another author last week and, uh, and I'm not going to name drop because, you know, that's uncool, but um, I will say she is a Rita award-winning author. And um, we were talking about the things we were reading and I said... Oh, uh, I think, I don't remember which one of us brought it up first, but it did come up, the new Lauren Lane book. And and she said, yes. And she said, oh my God, it's so good. And she wondered why it wasn't getting more buzz because it, and I agreed with her. It's one of the best books we've both read this summer. And I've already um, downloaded the, the arc for the next one, which I think is coming out in September. And um, I just thought I'd share that little story with you because I'm backed up by anonymous authors (laughs) who agree with me. Um, So take that for what it's worth. (laughs) Um, But after this interview, I know you'll want to check out Passion on Park Avenue and you'll get excited for um, the new series and of course all of Lauren Lane's backlist. Um, one last reminder, my Women With Books newsletter goes out at the end of every month, so I'll have one coming up this Friday. Uh, make sure you're on the list so you get all the extra content and podcast recommendations and my exclusive preview of what I read on my cruise. I haven't shared this yet anywhere, and um, <laughs> I just decided right now that I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it to Women With Books subscribers as um, exclusive content and what I read on my cruise because I said I wasn't 
I said someplace else, oh, in my blog yesterday, that, um, that I wasn't sharing that yet because some of them are books that haven't come out yet, but I'll go ahead and share it with women with books, um, subscribers. Um, anyway, I'll share with y'all what I've read. So that's going to be books that are coming up and what's on my TBR list for July. Uh, so yeah, I just decided that I was going to put all that in the newsletter. So I better go do that. <laughs> So while I am working on scribbling that out and including it to send it out to you all this next week, enjoy this amazing chat with Lauren Lane. I know you're going to be inspired by her, her style, her wit, her, her deep thoughts, um, her lifestyle. I mean, she's just really inspiring on so many different levels and she writes great books. So that's what we're all about here at Women With Books. Welcome to our guest this week. This is Lauren Lane. Hi, Lauren. What's you up to today? Hi, I am actually coming at you from sunny Jersey Shore. So I'm looking at the ocean right now as we do this podcast. Oh my gosh, this is not necessarily on brand for you, but um, it's I- not. It's not. And <laughs> it's funny is that I've lived in Manhattan for several years now, and this is the first time we've actually made it to the Jersey Shore. So I kind of feel like a little bit of an interloper and also like I don't belong but also I should have done it before now so it's been a, been a weird couple days sure well just on a side note are there have you been to the other beaches around New York or in the northeast <laughs> no oh! no I haven't and the other one too and this is actually I feel like would be on brand for me is the Hamptons it is on my bucket list but I think my husband and I have gotten in our head like when we do the Hamptons we want to do the Hamptons like really right and have like, you know, like a beach house and have it be all like fancy. And then, you know, looking at the bank statement, we're like, oh, maybe in 10 or 20 years, we'll do Hamptons the fancy way. So we'll see. I'll tell you, I was looking at, um, I've never been to the Hamptons either, but I'm going to New York for RWA this year. And I was kind of tossing around the idea of maybe taking an extra couple of days and like, you know, hooking on another trip or maybe trying to get a writer's retreat out of it. So I ended up on VRBO looking at Hamptons houses and... pretty quickly was like, all right, if I get 20 people to share this place with me. I know exactly how it is. And actually my little sister, she's four and a half years younger. She lived in New York City for one year and beat me to the Hamptons, which at first I was so jealous. But then she explained the situation. She's like, no, no, no. There are like 14 of us living in a, I think it was like a four bedroom house. I'm like, oh, you know what? You go ahead and beat me to the Hamptons. You, You do what you need to do. Well, I'll send you some of the links that I saved so you can have them on your, your vision board. Yes, <laughs> They are do. gorgeous. I love it. But I'm a real estate kind of gal anyway. Um, love it. So I wanted to have you on the podcast for a few different reasons. Um, one is, of course, you're a fabulous author and I'm in love with your books. Thank and you. um, actually, I was just talking to Terry Wilson and she was gushing about your new books too. So um, I was like, I love me. Terry. Yes. Well, she's, she's wonderful. 
actually yeah. just had the chance. I devoured the first book I read by her, The Accidental Beauty Queen, I think yes, it's called. Yes. And then shortly after, I saw her at a book planning in Paris. And you know when you just, I don't know if you've done this before, you meet someone and you think you're going to play it cool, but then you just start gushing about their book awkwardly and you realize you barely even introduced yourself or said hello. So how <laughs> to do that, like backpedal, like, oh, by the way, I'm Lauren Lane. <laughs> yeah, that's me at every single author event. I'm like, hi, how are you? <laughs> No, you don't need to sign my book. I know who you are. <laughs> Best friends forever. <laughs> Can I have a selfie? Yeah. Oh, I love those pictures of you guys in Paris, though. I mean, I'm like, best life right there. Yes, it was being... It was amazing. Well, um, anyway, I love your books, and I love... Um, we're going to talk about your new book and your new series in just a minute, but I also have followed your blog for a long time, and I think it's been so inspiring and empowering for me on a lot of different ways. You sometimes can identify things that I have been thinking (laughs) about, (laughs) about writer life or, you know, social media life or something like that, that I have not been able to put into words. So thank you very much. I Um, love hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. It's made me feel like I'm not so alone in some of my, um, like I said, weird ideas and obsessions and stuff, but, um, and speaking of obsessions, yes. <laughs> uh, you used to have a video or blog post up about your planners, and I have directed so many people to that, and I was just wondering, like, what are you using for a planner these days? Because I am personally a planner person. You know, I'm like hearing about it. <laughs> so funny you say that. So I just recently, like, I used to be really good about checking Google Analytics on my website, and then I kind of fell off it for a while because I was on deadlines and I finally revisited it and still to this day even though it's an old blog post my most popular page I think is one I did on an Erin Condren planner like probably oh, four or five years ago and so I'm like oh my gosh I'm getting and I'm not even actively I couldn't even find it on my website clicking around so it must be Google algorithms are somehow pointing to this old old page um so I'm actually it's so funny you bring this up I'm sort of moving and I can't even believe I'm saying this I've been moving in a digital direction for my planner and I I don't know even what happened because I've always been sort of like that that classic slash cliche girl who's like I need a paper planner I like to write it down um, and I think maybe just as I've gotten busier it started with me dipping my toe into using a program called Todoist which is basically you can put all your to-do items in there and the main reason I did that was because it then automates your um, reminders because in my paper planner like when I get really really busy I'll sometimes have 20 kind of urgent to do's and I was missing them mm. so it started it started with that and then at the same time my husband and I because we were getting busier with sort of social life and then his work life so then we started using a shared Google calendar so I was doing a lot of stuff there and then before I knew it I was using the day plan um, sorry the day designer and that probably I do still dig that out from time to time because I love it's daily hourly tracking that is huge for me um so that that's probably my my favorite planner but quite honestly i use i use my computer and my ipad and my phone most of the time i again i can't believe i'm saying this now that you asked that but it's been a while since i've used a paper planner what about you what are you i <laughs> woo me I, back woo me I back know, to the world i know i know i know <laughs> i have been using a hobonichi cousin for the last i think this is my third year now and i just I love the minimalist. It's Japanese, so yeah. a lot of writing in it is Japanese, which I kind of like because I can, I don't know what it says. I can like right. tune it out. <laughs> it's kind of, um, you know, 
kind of pretty in an abstract way, but I don't need to like really look at any of that. Um, it's grid paper. It has month, day, and week all in one because the paper is really, really thin and, and it feels very elegant to me. Um, and then I keep it in a very fancy <laughs> cover. <laughs> but, um, but I do love the paper planner. However, something you said is also true with me is that my husband and I have to also have a Google calendar because of our social lives and work events and travel and kids. And so I often find myself, I'll write something down in my paper calendar and then he'll be like, what, you didn't tell me about this. I'm like, oh, it's in the Calendar. Yeah, I know exactly how that goes. <laughs> oh, yep. Let me just go check it real quick. Oh, yeah, you just, you know. And, um, but we've never been able to really get a good system. So, like, when I used to have a full-time job, my day job was extremely security conscious about internet and stuff. So, sometimes I couldn't even share my work calendar with anybody else oh tricky so we would always we've always had like this weird third calendar monster frankenstein um and so we're still looking at we're constantly looking at ways to to streamline that and i'm always asking couples you know couple friends they say like oh we use this app and i'm like please tell me more how do you do it and then we try it and it's just it's just hard finding those those hacks it is and yeah we finally because we were sort of the same way we've always had couple friends that are like you have to have a shared google calendar and we resisted for so long we're like no that's not us and then finally i almost just started it on my own again as a way if i didn't have my planner with me and i just needed to look up like you know urgent deadlines on my phone i had it right there and then i added him so that he could see it and so sort of before we knew it we now have what we call life and that's where stuff like appointments or like friends in town goes and then we have the ll work calendar and then we have his work calendar and we share all three of them but it's sort of nice because then i'm able to see like if i just want to like zero in on like when are my deadlines when are my release dates i can see that there but then Mm -hmm. he also knows like if i have a deadline he should know better than to like plan date night or like commit us to dinner with friends (laughs) so it has been a bit of a work in progress but i i am liking sort of the shared calendar just if nothing else from transparency um so we kind of know what the other person is up to yeah if i could go back in time i think the easiest way would just be us starting with a shared gmail that we just used for like um travel and talking to teachers and code you know that kind of stuff that yeah because then that would just be we would both be using that and now google picks up that stuff and puts it in a calendar but we're both so independent that now us trying to share a gmail is going to be like (laughs) right yeah the the migration process would be too much (laughs) yeah but oh good i'm glad i'm see again lauren lane makes you feel like you're not alone in these kinds of things (laughs) my special touch well one of the things you talk about and this is kind of dancing around it is one of the things you talk about in your blogs and you have been kind of exploring i think based on your blogs is the idea of minimalism yeah, and one of my favorite topics. I well, I love it too, and I, I think I'm at heart a minimalist, but again, I think I've got too many people in my house to really achieve that <laughs> right now. But um, what does that mean to you, and how do you think that affects your writing? 
Well, at the, let's see. Going back to the very beginning, it sort of started almost by necessity. Um, probably, I think what year is it right now? Back in like 2011, we were living in Seattle, Washington, which is both of our hometown. And we had, it was still an apartment, but it was a very roomy, like two bedroom apartment. We had been talking about wanting to buy a house. Um, we had like a ton of like on-site storage. We had stuff at my parents' house, at his parents' house. Like we were like a normal, we have stuff household. Um, and then sort of completely on a whim, he got a, he being my husband, got a job offer in New York City. We decided to go for it, um, figuring like, hey, we're in our 20s. If we don't do it now, we never will. But very quickly looking at apartments in Manhattan, we realized, oh, we are going to be living in a studio just based on what we could afford. Um, so it was really, it started kind of just by necessity of we had to get rid of probably 80 to 90% of our stuff. We went from like this huge spacious two bedroom with like this huge bathroom, huge walk-in closet to sharing a tiny closet and having a tiny little kitchen and having one itty bitty coat closet for Christmas decorations and all of it. So that's sort of what kicked it off. Whereas when we got to New York City, we intentionally knew we didn't want to have this tiny space overflowing with stuff. And I was a little bit surprised at how much we sort of loved it. And you really do realize how little stuff you need. And I know this sounds so cliche. Like if you read any minimalist book, you hear these people talking about this and it sounds very like woo woo and like, yeah, sure. You only need one fork. Um, <laughs> but we really like, we kind of went all into it. And even surprisingly, once we got to New York, I found we actually got rid of even more stuff, not because it didn't fit, just because we realized, oh, we really like this. It's I don't know how to describe it other than a lightness of having like all of our shelves have room. So if something gets too crowded or we have to like, you know, move stuff over to fit something, we're like, oh, there's too much on the shelf. Uh, my my closet, like my clothes closet, I probably have maybe 10 to 12 shirts and like four dresses and a couple pairs of jeans and black pants. And that's it. Um, so in that way, I'm a very like literal minimalist, um, just in terms of belongings. But then the other part, I'm sorry, I'm really rambling here. I told no, you, no, it was, no, I told no, you it was my favorite you, topic. No. I, want, I want you to talk about it. Um, but then it's, it surprised me a little bit too, because it sort of has eased its way into my writing process. Um, even my website right now is fairly minimalist. Like I like to have a lot of white space. I like to have the focus just on certain things as opposed to sort of like a ton of clitter, clutter, extra things floating around. Um, and even like my writing app, I talk about it in my blog a lot, it's called Ulysses, and it is a Mac-only program, and this is not a sponsored post in any way, um, <laughs> but I just love it, and it, it, it's also known for that minimalist writing environment. So unlike Scrivener, which I know a lot of people love, that has like the cork board and like all these notes, there's something very, I guess very important to my creative process to just have like this white background with the words. And I guess where I'm going with this, to me, minimalism is really getting down to sort of the essence of things. So like who, what I want to be focusing on right this moment or what I need most, I make sure that that's kind of the only thing right in front of me. Oh, that speaks to me so much. And yes, your blog post about Ulysses, I had to go look it up, but I don't have a Mac, so I was I know. very disappointed. Because no. <laughs> I love Scrivener, but I don't use 95% of the bells and whistles. So um, I was like, I could move. I could do something else. And um, But alas, until I make that big move, yep. <laughs> I cannot do it. And um, But yeah, and what you just also said about focusing and on what you need and everything too. Um, I think that kind of goes along with some other things you've been talking about, which is focus, 
not on social media that you've you've pulled back from different social media platforms because of this um well i let you speak for it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it is and that's another one that actually if i'm kind of looking back in hindsight that i think has sort of been in progress probably for a few years now even though for a while i was technically on all of the social media platforms that an author was supposed to be on so i had the twitter profile i had the facebook page um, once Facebook pages kind of went, not even sure what polite word to use here, they became a little bit less effective a few years ago as the algorithms changed. Then everybody moved over to Facebook groups. So I tried that path. Um, and even though as I was doing that, I think I was always more in the camp of trying to be on both those sites as little as possible. Um, so I was always trying to like outsource some of it to an assistant. And then I would try to use, you know, Sprouts social or Hootsuite or Buffer, basically always trying to find these hacks on how to be present on those sites without it actually taking time away from the writing. So that was sort of a couple years ago, that's what I was pretty outspoken on is that the writing comes first and then whatever time I have left over, I will try to put towards social media. And it worked a little bit and it wasn't bad. Um, And I don't know exactly what the turning point was last year. So probably April 2018-ish, I had sort of this strange out of nowhere epiphany of I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. Um, And I've never been a huge Facebook user. So even before I was an author, I like myself as a person wasn't really active on Facebook. I only started the account because again, when you're an author, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm traditionally published and they make it very clear you need to have a Facebook presence in order to get a book deal um, or at least to get recurring book deals. So I did as I was instructed. And it was just sort of this this feeling inside me of any time I was on Facebook, even if it was people being really positive, even if it was in my group where I was getting you know nice comments or like, I loved your book, it just felt a little bit distracting. Um, and also not that, not that effective for me. So I don't wanna get too into ROI because um, it gets kind of like in a, a techie direction, but return on investment in terms of like where your time goes is important for an author because we're all juggling so many different things, newsletters, uh, you're trying to get your books out, you have copy edits, you have revisions. So I was looking at the time going to Facebook and how effective is this either for my you know career success as well as my happiness level and the answer was not at all. Um, <laughs> so I went full rebel and I still technically have that Facebook page, but I pulled out of my group um, and on my Facebook page, I just put up, you know, like a cover message or a pinned post or whatever you call it saying, I'm not here anymore. Come find me on Instagram. And then I did the same thing on Twitter just because Twitter, I hadn't really done anything with before. So that wasn't that much of a leap for me. So that, yeah, that was May, May of last year. I made that switch and it really felt like the best thing that I have ever done. I never once regretted it. Um, there are, of course, those little flickers of like, oh my gosh, am I completely sabotaging my career? But since I did that, I actually had some of my biggest and best releases ever, um, which sort of reinforced this idea that, oh, you don't actually need Facebook, despite what sort of feels like every other author and publisher will tell you. For me, I didn't see any negative impact to leaving, um, at least in terms of you know sales and, and people subscribing to my newsletter and being engaged and all of that. And then most recently, and this is maybe the blog post that you just see because it is my most <laughs> recent one. I, when I did that, my, my big plan was, okay, I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I will be on Instagram because I loved Instagram, especially in comparison to the other ones. 
Uh, it was just prettier. It felt a little bit lighter. I actually enjoyed using it. All the reasons that I didn't love Facebook, I did actually love Instagram. And then lo and behold, I don't know what happened. Instagram turned on me a little bit too. Uh, not as dramatic. And I'm definitely not going to say, oh, I never use Instagram. And actually, I just posted on Instagram yesterday. So I, I still am there. Um, I, there are a lot of things I like about it. But it really came down to, again, this sense of um, leaving it maybe a little bit cluttered, mentally cluttered. And this ties back into the, the minimalist thing, mm-hmm. where it just is feeling like it is taking energy uh, that I could be giving to my family or to my, in you know, in real life friends who I never see, or even mm-hmm. just making time to sit down and have a glass of wine and read a book at the end of the day, I was realizing how often I was reaching for my phone and just mindly scrolling through Instagram and leaving feeling a little bit icky because you get tagged in negative posts and you have people leaving kind of snarky comments about your latest release and you're like, why am I doing this? But I, I think I was almost addicted. It was just my go-to of when I'm sitting down, I have nothing to do. I'm going to pick up the phone and look look through Instagram. Mm-hmm. So as of now, I am Instagramless. Um, I do still post, like I said, but I do it all through Planoly, which is sort of an auto post program that I can use on my computer. And so I basically feel like the biggest rebel in the world. And again, I have those flickers of maybe I just killed my career. I don't know. Uh, but I, I am trying something a little bit different. Yeah. No, I don't think you're the biggest rebel in the world. And I won't name names, but I was listening to a podcast and it was someone who is a very, very big influencer in the world with <laughs> big followings, but also book deals and stuff. And she admitted on this podcast, she's like, I don't go on Instagram. I don't go on social media. She's like, I run on, I see, I, I like respond to things. And she's like, and I get off. She's like, I don't want to look at other people's stuff or what they're doing. She's like, because I only want to focus on what I'm doing. Yep. And so that really kind of opened my eyes. And I'm like, wow, if she's doing that and she has, you know, quadrillion million followers and, you know, all these deals, she's focusing on her own crap. And that's what I need to be doing, too. And and I used to be, unlike you, I, I used to f- use Facebook a lot. And I have a, a personal one just for friends and family and the public one. And I love Twitter. And I used to be a huge proponent of that because it did connect me with you know people I knew in middle school and high school and that because I moved around a lot as a kid so I didn't and and back in the 80s and 90s we didn't get to stay in touch with people you know you had to write a letter if you left a friend and so to me for a while it was a huge blessing to be able to reconnect with with friends from high school and stuff but as you had to notice that it was starting to suck time and it was taking your productivity and um, you're just scrolling, you're scrolling and refreshing and you're wondering, oh, what am I about to miss? And then you realize half your day is gone. So the first step I did was I removed notifications um, from my phone. And so I don't get notified if anything pops up. So that's, that's, that was the first step. And when that happened, it was, it, it, it's made this, just that has made such a huge change because, and honestly, I had some people get mad at me. They're like, I tried getting in touch with you and you didn't respond. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> well, because I'm working, I'm living my life, I'm parenting, I'm, you know, sleeping. 
yeah yeah exactly you're right that's how it feels like you just want to say like wait a second like this is my life how do i want to be living it does is it looking at a screen all the time or is it sort of lifting your head and looking around and yeah. breathing a little bit and then once you realize that and then you kind of read a little bit more about how these things can be manipulated and you are being manipulated when you are scrolling um I just I've, I've really backed away and and each day is a little bit clearer a little bit more nuanced and I really now have a lot of fears about a kind of emotional zombieism that um we can be um vulnerable to if we we do that and that's not a judge to anyone else i mean there's tons of people who can be productive and follow it but i think some of us who really need to create we have to create that bubble around ourselves so that we can make the things that we're here to make yes yep yeah and i think too like you said like it's not here to judge and everybody is different i think for me it came down to taking a step back and it sounds like for you too and just saying like wait a second, how does this particular pattern or habit or platform in my life, how does it make me feel after I use it? And if it makes you feel great, and for a while that was me on Instagram, then by all means, like lean into that. But if at any point, maybe it starts to feel like, oh, something, something's a little bit off here, then it is freeing to know, I think that you don't have to. I think a lot of times, especially in the author world, you know, like people make you feel like, you have to like otherwise you will die your career will just shrivel up and i think maybe allowing ourselves the flexibility to to take a, a step back and see is that true like does that seem right i'm not convinced yeah and that's what I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that too because i'm an author and a reader right mm-hmm. and, i mean i know those once you become an author your readership is completely you know that's changed forever but i do think about you know as a reader if i have a favorite author and i do Am I less likely to buy her new book that's coming out if I don't ever see her on Instagram? You know, and I really don't think that impacts my buying habits. Um, Other readers, y'all tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But, um, you know, I would much rather, you know, just see, you know, updates maybe or, you know, just be on their newsletter or something and and get updates about when the new book is coming out or what's going on in their lives. but I don't need to see it five times a day. Exactly. Yep. And it's kind of also, I think this is where me being a mom of a preteen daughter and I'm starting to tell her like, she knows she's got FOMO. She's worried about what other people are thinking about her, all this stuff. And it's almost like what authors are doing. Like they're going to, they're going to think such and such, such and such about me. And I'm like, are they? Because they got their own lives to deal yeah, with. And I'm always right. telling her, I'm like, people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking yeah. about you. <laughs> That's so true. Actually, so I, I don't have kids myself, but the way you're phrasing that, I'm like, oh my gosh, in so many ways, the author world is a lot like that that preteen or even like that high school world that I remember mm-hmm. of where you, you kind of forget like, oh, you're not the center of the world. And also the world's not going to end if you take a step back and you're not present for one day in a way that you think people need you to be. Right. Right. Oh, maybe I, I feel a blog post coming on, Lauren. I feel a blog <laughs> post coming on. <laughs> well, and then also I was thinking when I was reading this from you, I'm like, you were writing and living in Manhattan, which to me would seem like a huge sensory overload. I mean, do you find like that is a lot of your sensory, like you, you've, you've 
if you need something to change all the time, you could just go outside on the street, right? Yeah, yeah. It is a little bit, you know, I will be perfectly honest. I think some people think like, oh, like I'm out like walking the streets of Manhattan every day. I would actually love to be in reality. My (laughs) writing schedule is so aggressive that there are definitely days where I don't really leave my apartment and I am not proud of that. Um, No, but it, it is definitely. And even we live in Manhattan in sort of like a high rise. And sometimes even just looking out my window, just glancing and you're literally looking at, I don't know, millions of people live just within your view and you can see like pedestrians. Um, My building alone, I think has 600 other apartments in it. So just the elevator getting up and down to go to the gym. Um, There are people around all the time. So that could also probably influence a little bit my sense of like there already is so much coming in for my brain to process. And I don't then also need to have that when I'm in my apartment, like at some point you've got to put up that wall and you've got to say like, Mm -hmm. okay, I am done being a consumer right now. And it's time for me to start being a creator. And when I say consumer, I don't mean necessarily of physical goods. Sometimes it can just be as simple as information or somebody else's blog post. When you constantly have those other sources coming in, whether it's a comment from a reader or even the number of likes that you have on a certain post, it seems so harmless until you realize how many brain cycles that starts to take up. Um, and you're like, wait a second, I don't, I don't think that's what matters. And what I also try to remember as an author, as much as I appreciate, you know, the readers engaging with me, what they want first and foremost from me is the books. Like that's why they're following me in the first place. And so I just try to have faith that the readers that are sort of my people or my tribe will respect that if I'm not replying to them, if I'm disappearing for weeks, even months at a time, they'll know that it's because I'm writing. I mean, that's why I got into this. And that's that's really what I try to put first every day. Well, speaking of what you're creating <laughs> and the books that your tribe really wants, um, let's talk about your next release, Passion on Park Avenue. Yes. One, no, less than a week now. I can't, I actually can't believe that. And I think I say this with every book, but every time I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so far away. And then it's like, I blink and then I'm like, oh, it's a few days away. And I haven't talked about it at all. So thank you for bringing it up. Of course. <laughs> I got an arc for it. And, um, you know, I wasn't quite sure because it has a different cute, girly it's, cartoon It's very cover. different, right? And so I'm like, hmm, what is Lauren going to be doing right now? But I still felt like it's such a Lauren Lane book. I mean, I do think I, I called it on my blog, um, sex in the city for the Hallmark channel. Yeah. Um, oh, that is perfect. <laughs> and then I went and looked on your blog when I was preparing for this, um, today or your site when I was preparing for this today and you had it something like you, you called it PG 13. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is also a good way of putting it. But like, I think I would give this to, um, my, my friend's daughters who are high schoolers and they are watching all the Hallmark Channel books, this would be like, I think, completely appropriate for them. Um, But why don't you tell us about it and how you got the idea? Yeah, so it's actually, this is sort of a funny one. So the basic premise, this is book one and it can be a standalone, um, but it's part of a series called Central Park Pact. And actually this idea came to me years ago and it's one that when I was with a different publisher, we were trying to figure out like what came next after my Wedding Bell series. And this was one of the proposals that was on um, sort of up for debate. And long story short, like people liked it, but they weren't quite sure. And, you know, it felt a little bit too, I don't want to say edgy because edgy is not quite the right word, but it's also a little bit different than a lot of romances that are out there, especially three years ago. 
Um, so long story short, I ended up writing Wall Street instead, and this one was sort of left on the cutting room floor. And then that same publisher came back and said, hey, have you sold this um, series yet? Because we would actually like to repurpose it for trade paperback, which I was excited about. And not to get too like into the terms of publishing, but trade paperback, one reason that I've been attracted to that as opposed to the mass market or the ebook only side that I've been on before is that you can get away with and are even encouraged to do less explicit sex scenes. And I don't mind writing the sex scenes. And in fact, the one that I'm writing right now is plenty sexy. So I'm not like completely moving away from that sort of super sexy brand that I initially built. But I had this realization that I myself um, <laughs> will skip the sexy scenes in a lot of other books. <laughs> you know, not that I don't like them. It's just like, for me, that's not why that's not why I read romance and it's right. not why I read contemporary romance. And so I'm like, well, what if, like, what do I like to watch and what do I like to read? And I kept coming back to um, like rom-coms, like the, I don't know, I guess it's like the early 2000s, late 90s. I'm trying to think when yeah, these came yeah. out, but you know, like Notting Hill and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And oh, yes. suppose like, like, like While You Were Sleeping is one of my all-time favorite. Basically anything with like Sandra Bullock or Meg Ryan, those sort of classic romantic comedies, those were not about the sex scenes at all and a lot of times you wouldn't even have the hero and the heroine the main characters they wouldn't even kiss until the last scene and i loved that because you had this huge build through this entire movie um until till the first kiss which is like my favorite part of every book and so i started wondering i wonder if i can, I can kind of get away with that and mine's not that dramatic like these the characters do kiss well before the final, final scene and they do have sex just off the page you know it's mm -hmm. fade to black um so that's sort of the backstory on how i kind of like approached this overall project and then the premise itself for those of you who don't know it's basically a spin on the movie the other woman i think or maybe it's the other women which has yes. <laughs> um is it like is it leslie mann and cameron diaz cameron and i'm forgetting diaz. Kate Upton, uh, maybe? Yes, yes, and, yes. And the idea is basically these women find out that they've all been, you know, dating and are married to the exact same guy. And instead of hating each other, they instead band together and kind of try to get back at him. So this is sort of a play on this, but with the slightly dark twist of the guy is actually dead at the beginning of the story. So <laughs> all three of these women didn't know about each other. One is married to him. Um, one was sort of, you know, they had just started dating. Another thought she was his serious girlfriend, you know, the one like, oh, he's left his wife and, and now he and I are gonna get married. Um, and then, yeah, long story short, they learn about each other after he's died with yet another woman by his side. And on the day of his funeral, they all end up in Central Park together. Um, and they, they essentially decide to be friends and help protect each other against the pigs of Manhattan, for lack of a better word. And of course, it doesn't work out for them that way. They actually all end up falling in love, which is what the series is about, because all of my books will always be a romance. <laughs> And it, I, I have this huge smile on my face right now. All the warm, fuzzy thoughts about everything. Um, I think, I don't remember if it was a prologue or the literal chapter one, where they all met at the funeral or with the funeral in the background. Yep. Um, I think it was kind of that edginess where I'm like, ooh, what is she going to do here? Like, scandalous. It, it was kind of scandalous, mm -hmm. but I think also the way you wrote the characters, I could tell... Um, you know, and there was there was kind of some blunt talk and some, but they were joking. And 
I just think the way the characters interacted from the very start, I'm like, okay, she can pull this off. You know, she, because I'm, I mean, of course I knew you could pull it off, but you know, I was like, I didn't want it to be, yeah, yeah, I didn't want it to be like a cat fighty thing, you know, and and it wasn't from the very beginning. It was like, no, these are just three women who are going to stand up for themselves. And they're like, hey, you want to be my friend? All right, let's go be my friend. (laughs) Best friends for life. Yeah, that's exactly how it was. And what's actually kind of funny now that you say that, I'm doing revisions on the third book right now, and I'm almost done with it. But one of the things that I've been struggling with a little bit is that this initial premise of them meeting over the sky, he now over the course of me writing these three books is just so irrelevant um, Mm. to sort of their friendship, which I love because it means like they've bonded, at least in my head, they're, they really are best friends. Um, And I had to keep remembering like, oh no, this is the premise of your book and your publisher's gonna be mad if you don't at least mention it. Um, (laughs) But it has been sort of fun to realize like, yes, this is how I put them, pushed them together in those early stages in book one. But yeah, it it ultimately does become sort of um, about friendship. And I never really set out, to be honest, (laughs) to write a friendship centric story. And I think a lot of readers thought that this was like my big move into women's fiction where I was writing a friendship story And I actually wasn't, it wasn't my intent at all. I was thinking, like I said, I'm going to write these romantic comedies. They're just tied together this way. But it had this really lovely side effect of of these female characters kind of bonding in a way I didn't plan for. So Yeah, the overarching arc, I can see that. But I think the first one is definitely a rom-com. And it has, um, oh my gosh, one of the favorite, one of my favorite, one, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'll edit that. Um, one of the parts that ended up being my favorite, which again, I didn't think was going to be my favorite at the beginning because it had kind of this edginess to it, was the main, the heroine's history with the hero. Yes. And his father. And I was like, again, going, oh, oh, what is this going to be? Like, how? And, but she develops this relationship I, I don't want to give anything away but I know it's, it's a tricky one <laughs> <laughs> but um there's someone she has like a bad history with but that because she is decent a decent person she can work that through and it's just lovely watching you take that to the next level and um these all these characters kind of overcoming their dark history with each other and realizing they're not the same people that maybe they thought they were. Yep. Does that make sense? I don't yes. know. Yes. <laughs> no, really I... hard not to give away this one, <laughs> no, but I loved I, it. I loved it. <laughs> I'm glad. And I, I appreciate that so much because actually her relationship with his father, I always knew that that was, that the father was going to be sort of a crucial role in this story, again, without giving too much away. And then I thought he was going to be the villain. Like that was my original idea. And then I started writing it and I had this other idea Again, no spoilers, um, but it really sort of changed the entire dynamic and really shifted the story from kind of being an almost antagonistic revenge story to really being a little bit more, I guess I would say about growth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, and I, I just, I love when I don't really plan those things and it comes out, but there were definite moments I'm like, can I pull this off? I don't know. I hope I did, but it, it's one of those, those weird things where you're like, what is the muse doing? And you just sort of try to strap on for the ride and figure out figure out how to make it work right and you know what? i just thought about this i was just reading um a book and i interviewed her for the podcast mia vinci with her um debut historical romance novel and i was telling her the same thing i'm like i've just I've, i'm appreciating like the way people handle other they 
characters who should be villains or who could easily be villains in another story and that in a very talented author's hands you can make them three-dimensional and um like okay maybe i don't have to like you but i'm going to deal with you in this way and um it's just really neat for me to be able to see and again in talented author's hands so yeah and it is i i think one thing i always try to remember sort of on those lines because it is really easy and i will admit i have written plenty of like one-dimensional villains just because sometimes you just need someone to hate and they're just like the worst ever and it provides oh, yeah, great there's nothing wrong with that. i just love it <laughs> but in general if i'm trying to push myself a little bit uh, in general one thing i always try to do is remember like in every person's mind they are the hero of their mm. own story so i'm trying to look at it from like okay he or she obviously thinks like that she's a hero and that my character is a villain. So how would they be viewing this entire situation? And at least try to touch on that a little bit, um, which I think ultimately is harder to write for sure. But ultimately my hope is that it, it results in sort of a richer story at the end. So when are the next two books coming out? So book two will be out. <laughs> Should have looked up the exact date. Oh, sorry. September. <laughs> I can <laughs> no, read them. I do. No, no, it's definitely in September. So book two is out in September. And then book three actually doesn't have a final, final date, but it will okay. be in January of 2021. Oh, fabulous. Very yeah. exciting. And that one, I, I, I love them all, of course, but book three has been especially fun. One, because it's the end of the series, so you really know, you know the characters so well, mm. but it's also one that I've sort of like teased throughout one and two, like dropping little hints. So that's always just so gratifying when you get to finally tell the story you've been building to for a few months. Yeah, there's a dinner party scene in Passion on Park Avenue, which I was like, that was where I was like, all right, I need all these books right now (laughs) delivered to me because I have to see how she untangles all of that. Yes, they've been fun. And book two, actually, that was one thing because also it's about the widow and it's not a spoiler. Mm -hmm. I've already told you guys the guy guy is dead at the beginning. So it's about his widow um, and actually her story, I butted heads a little bit with my editor and she's not gonna mind me saying this because she knows that we did. But one of, her, one of her perspectives was she's like, oh, it's just a little bit too romancy. And she was like, you know, let's make it a little bit more, again, to use the phrase women's fiction. And that's one where I really, really stood my ground. And I'm like, no, I'm leaning full on to the romance. And so book two was fun because it's, it's very much a true romance about a woman who is so jaded on love after finding out her husband is a dead and then B was cheating on her with all these women um, to watch her be so stubborn against love and then have the walls crumble was, Mm -hmm. was great. So I can't wait. (laughs) So what was your favorite part about writing this series? It was probably, well, I will say it was fun to have the ability to not write those sex scenes. Um, <laughs> just because, it, you know, it's, it's almost, it just felt like a different muscle in terms of developing sort of that tension and that mm-hmm. connection between the characters without actually having the sex scenes. And then the other thing that was fun is that because these are, we get way into my writing process here. Um, because they are trade fiction, they don't have to be as long as mass market. So when I was doing the mass market books, they were really pushing me for a minimum of 80,000 words. Uh, And then they really wanted closer to 90. And that is just not my sweet spot for a book. Like, I don't know how many of the books you've read, but like, I don't tend to do like a lot of filler. I very much Mm -hmm. sort of like just like the key scenes and, you know, the first kiss and like the first handhold and like all that sort of stuff. So this was a little bit fun. They're not short, but there was a little bit less pressure to like, oh my gosh, how am I, how am I gonna get this 
80,000 word book out there. And then I was always having to insert scenes. So these books were especially great, um, sort of in the same way my digital only books were, where I could essentially just write the scenes that I was most excited about um, and not have to do the sex scenes. So it was really, it was the best of both worlds uh, just to be able to do something a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and they're all based in New York. Um, they are, yeah. Park Avenue, Lexington, and... And then Marriage on Madison Avenue is Madison book three. Madison Avenue. Yep. And for me, I've never really visited New York City. Um, just some quick business trips and school trips where I kind of go in and out real quick. Taxi, hotel, yep. you know, conference, whatever. And I am very comfortable with other major cities like London, Paris, San Francisco. I'm very comfortable with it. But just because I've never really spent a lot of time in New York, I'm also really intimidated by <laughs> this. Is yeah, sound dumb. I could see that. <laughs> like, I'm just intimidated by the numbers. <laughs> like, I'm yes. not good with numbers. And so if someone's like 117th and 68th or something. I'm like, oh, I, that doesn't like my brain can't pinpoint that. Um, but I reading your books gives me a vicarious thrill <laughs> that I could go to New York and be okay. And, mm-hmm. um, but I also thought about asking you and I I think I said this in an email. Um, who better than Lauren Lane than to give me her my the favorite spots in New York to visit? Like when I go back, and like I said, I'm going back this summer. What are some spots that you would say tell me or another visitor that they need to go see? Oh, my favorite. This is my like second favorite topic. <laughs> Basically, you're hitting on all my favorite things. So you're gonna have oh, to pull me back. Um, <laughs> so the first thing I will say because I think you said you're going for RWA, right? Which is in yes. July. But I've got a couple extra days tacked on. So I could go again. I could go another time. So I'm going to be really, really blunt here. New York City is my my passion. It's like my favorite place in the world. I never want to live anywhere else. But when you get there in July, there is a good chance that it will smell like trash. Yes. So, yeah, like, and it's just, and like locals know it. And especially, this is my first bit of advice. So most people, when they come to New York, and it is very overwhelming, um, they tend to stay in like what's known as the Times Square area. Yes. So sort of like right along Broadway. And I think something like 80 plus percent of the hotels or at least the hotel rooms are centered in that area. Huh. So a lot of times people will go there and they, they walk around like, I could never live in New York. Like, you know, it's smelly and it's noisy and it's crowded. And there's like kind of like touristy stuff all over the place. That's not really what New Yorkers would call New York. Mm-hmm. Um, like to the point, I actually lived right outside of Times Square for years. And my husband and I would literally walk probably eight blocks, 15 minutes out of our way to go sort of around the area where most people are staying. Like that's how much it's not, I don't want to say it's a crap hole because it is cool to see Times Square. Like you see in the movies and it's neat to get kind of that like really crowded, strange New York sense. But my number one bit of advice is okay. a be prepared for the smell of um, garbage, <laughs> and also it's, it's unavoidable. Oh, it because sounds so great right now! <laughs> I can't of, wait. I'm like, Come to my city; it smells like hot trash. <laughs> but <laughs> really, it's because like so, New York City is kind of odd in that it's this huge, you know, has millions of people, but they don't have any alleyways, which means on trash day, people put the trash like on the streets until it gets picked up, and then you can imagine when it's 90 degrees, what happens. So the thing I would say is, if you're smelling that constantly it means you're in the wrong area, probably in Times Square. So good. leave Times Square. It is where the RWA hotel is. It's sort of in that area. So go north or go south, which 
is also known as Uptown is North and Downtown is South. So that's yes. one little note to make. And in terms of places to visit, um, I always recommend it and it's not like unique or anything and it's also kind of touristy, but Central Park is probably my favorite place in the city. Um, it's just this very, well, that's Central Park Pack, my series, full circle. Um, but it, it's just, it's it's so neat and it's so unique just because it is like this enormous stretch of green in the middle of kind of the concrete jungle. Um, the one thing I would say is that if you do go to Central Park, you're most likely going to be coming at it from the south side. So like on 60th Street, keep walking north because all the tourists congregate right in that area. And then you're like, oh, well, it's just another crowded park. But if you keep going, there's like little picnic spots and you can walk, you know, like 10 minutes without seeing another person, which in New York is so unusual. So definitely always recommend people not only go to Central Park, but sort of, you know, press yourself to just like walk around and, you know, pack a picnic or just sit on a bench and sort of listen to music. Um, one of my favorite things. The other thing I always recommend is the High Line, which is over on the western part of Manhattan. And it's actually a, how am I trying to say this? It's like an abandoned or no longer used railway track that's above the street. And they turned it into like this really beautiful like park and walkway. So you can essentially walk above the streets of New York City and they have all these like pretty plants and there's like little ponds and stuff. So that's super pretty. I'm realizing I sound like I'm some sort of park nut. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually not. I'm like, I'm not actually one of those nature girls. Um, but those two are just cool just because they're, they're Whatever, so, you've already yeah. told us you don't like people <laughs> and you like I minimalism. Don't, and... don't like people, I'm antisocial. I just My city smells parks. like garbage. <laughs> uh, the other one, the Brooklyn Bridge, I always recommend just because it's all the way sort of at the south end of Manhattan. So you're really getting like as far away from Times Square and Central Park as you can get. And then if you walk into Brooklyn, there's the added benefit of you get to see one of the other boroughs. The bridge itself is just beautiful. And then also when you then walk back into Manhattan, you get to see sort of the iconic skyline sort of at your own pace. And it's great for selfies and just seeing the city from a different view. Uh, the other one I always recommend, I have two more, I promise. Be, no, this is my last one. Okay. Uh, so the Sex in the City <laughs> bus tour. And I know oh, how that sounds. Yeah. Like, really? A bus tour? But I did it with my mom and my sister the first time they came out to New York after I'd moved there. And my mom was a casual Sex and the City fan, my sister very much so, and I was at least very familiar with it. So that in itself is fun just because Sex and the City is actually one of the few TV shows that's actually filmed in New York. Right. A lot of them, like Friends and Seinfeld, they're actually filmed on set in LA and they just pretend they're in New York. So Sex and the City is cool because you can actually go to all the different like intersections and buildings where they filmed it. But even if you're not a Sex and the City fan, it's really a good way to kind of get off the beaten track of mm. a lot of the tourist stops. So like it'll take you to like West Village and you can kind of see like, you know, Jimmy Choo that's right next to a cupcake shop. And it's those sort of like very New York experiences that you're not necessarily gonna stumble on um, if you're just sort of roaming around. So it was it was just a really fun way. And I think to this day it remains mine and my mom and sister's like one of our favorite things that we've done. Um, just because it was it was a great way to see it. And then you're also on a bus, but you also get to walk around. They take you to the New York Public Library, which almost makes my list at the top because it's just beautiful. Um, so that, and then the last one is also touristy and it's sad, but really I recommend people go to Ground Zero um, just because it, they, they've done a beautiful job at the memorial there. Um, so yeah, definitely sad, but you know, you see the, the actual footprints of where the Twin Towers were and it's just, it's, it's worth a go, definitely. 
Yeah, but if you're talking about, you know, what makes a New Yorker a New Yorker, I think that that actually defines a lot of New York these it days. It does. You know? It really does. Yeah. Even now, and I wasn't I wasn't in New York on 9-11, but even looking at the skyline, and now they have the Freedom Tower, which is amazing, and it's also right there at the memorial. Um, but you just realize sort of how much how much has changed about the city just by mm-hmm. what's no longer in that iconic skyline. Right. Well, thank you so much for that. And now while you're in recommending mode, do you have any books that you've been reading or recommending lately? I do. So in all honesty, I always kind of approach the recommendations with hesitation because I read so much nonfiction, which okay. is, is odd for someone I know that's a fiction author, or maybe it's not. Um, but so on the note of minimalism and my social media hiatus, uh, after I wrote that blog post that you mentioned, The Whispers, I think I called it, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, Jessica Lemon, said, have you read Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport? And I'd never even heard of it, but I checked it out. And it was just so funny because I started reading it. And it was one of those things, sort of like you said, when you read my blog post, where it's like somebody else has your exact thoughts and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And his book is very much that. Um, but he goes even like deeper into sort of explaining in sort of a like borderline scary way, like just how addicting social media can be and how mm-hmm. intentionally addicting it can be and sort of the the behind the scenes on what Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, really what they've done to sort of make sure that we can't get away from them. Um, but it's also not, it's not like a doom and gloom book either. He really has some great practices in terms of not how to leave dig, uh, social media entirely, but how to sort of make it work for you instead of you becoming a slave to it. So that one is highly recommended. It is a little bit meaty. Like some of, I think he's a um, like computer engineer or something very intense. So there's a couple paragraphs. I'm like, I'm going to read that 10 times and still not get it. But absolutely, (laughs) absolutely worthwhile. Um, And then in terms of romance, I'm a huge historical romance fan. So I've been telling everybody about Mary Tremaine. I don't know if that's how she pronounces her last name, but it's called Lady in Waiting. Um, It was actually nominated for a Rita I think twice for best historical and for best debut. And it's, it's one of the the best books I've read in a while. It's just one where like, it makes you smile and it was a little bit lighter. Um, and then she also to get really into this, she does jealousy scenes really well. Like I've read both of her releases now. I don't know, but like when an author can make like the guy, like feel that jealousy, like that's just one of like my favorite things. Um, and I actually wrote her like this creepy email and I'm like, you read jealousy so well. (laughs) Uh, And like she handled it with grace and now we're, we're friendly, but um, so yeah, I'm sure she appreciated that. <laughs> well, it's me. It's probably something I think. Right, like if the second I said it, you knew what I meant. Like, yeah, if you're a romance author or a romance reader, I think you know that like pull that is on the page with those particular scenes, and she just crushed it. Oh, okay, that's going on my list yes. right now. <laughs> yeah, if you if you even like historical a little bit, she's great. As is um, Vivian Lorette. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'm going to tell a quick story about this because I think okay. it's funny. Yeah. So I am self-publishing my first book in July, uh, and I'm doing my own audiobook production for that because my husband knows someone who just started doing audio books, and she has like the perfect voice for it. And when I was talking to her, I was like, "Hey, you know, just heads up, this is a romance. I want to make sure like you're comfortable with that." And she's like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "I haven't read a ton, but she's like, I've actually been on a romance novel cover." And I'm like, what? Oh. And she said, and I'm like, and she's like, yeah, she's like, I haven't really like told anyone. And so she sends me this cover and it's freaking Vivian Lorette, who's my favorite historical romance author. And it's the book that I had just finished. My audiobook narrator is the cover model for that oh, book. Oh, that is kind Isn't of that weird. Crazy? Yes. Yeah. It's like, 
oh yeah you know like when you hear like the twilight music playing you're like what's going mm-hmm. on so that's that's my story there it's just as a side note do you are you one of the authors who you like you don't really read as much in the genre you write no i really don't yeah. um yeah, and it's not, it, it didn't start out intentionally, and I don't know if it's because if maybe like some little part of me is trying to like protect my writing muse, or if it's because the genre has shifted a little bit from my like early romance reading days. It was very much, you know, Susan Elizabeth Phillips and like Rachel Gibson and Jill Shalvis. Um, and now the genre has just exploded, and there are so many, and they tend to be a little bit sexier. Um, so, yeah, I have been having a harder time for whatever reason connecting with contemporary romance yeah I'm the same way and it's because I've been doing consistent blogs about what I've been reading and what I recommend and I've I'm really trying to analyze a lot of what I'm connecting to actually too and so it's not just oh this is a well-written book this is like oh man this this clicked on my buttons you know um and I think it it might be a part of protecting what I write but also like I don't want to be jealous <laughs> you know it goes yeah. back to I think creating the bubble that we create in and going like I don't need um you know this other thing that doesn't necessarily like really inspire me to be in my bubble um and that's not saying that that's not you know fun great entertainment well-written whatever it's just not what I need to create exactly so, yeah um, yeah, I think it's interesting. Anyway, um, do you have time for the lightning round? Absolutely. I know your your fans would want to hear Bring it. it on. So I just give you quick questions and you give me quick answers. But it's okay. okay if, sometimes people, I will say almost always somebody feels the need to elaborate and that is fine too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Dark or milk chocolate? Dark. Coffee or tea? Coffee. When your phone rings, do you answer it? Almost never. How do you usually waste time on the internet? Ooh, Pinterest. Um, On your next vacation, will it be to the mountains or the beach? Mountains, definitely. Do you call it soda or pop? Ooh, both. I'm going to elaborate. I am from from Seattle, and everybody calls it pop. But I went to college in California, and nobody said pop, so I adapted to soda. And now that I'm in New York, where everybody's kind of from everywhere, I switch interchangeably. Mm, yeah, bilingual. Yeah, I guess. And not intentionally. It's just like I just spit out random words. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> mostly soda now. I'm mostly a soda girl. Yes. On a romance hero, do you prefer six-pack abs, forearms, or a chiseled jaw? Oh, forearms for sure. They get me every time. Are you more likely to buy a book cover with abs on it or a beach scene? I almost never, ever will buy an abs book. I don't think I have ever bought one, so I will say beach scene. And very important and last question, what are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first? Oh, I don't do it, but I don't have issues with other people doing it. Yeah. I'm I'm not anti, and I've also been known to Google movie endings before, actually quite a bit. So I, I understand the, the the perspective. Yeah. Well, I I 
just think this was a great conversation and we could obviously keep talking for a long time but i need to let you get back to writing all your fabulous books me too um, i could keep time like oh, i have a deadline but yeah this was such a great chat thank you how can people get in touch with you or how would you like people to get in touch with you so the best way is probably my i love my website i am a website i actually design websites so i'm a website nerd um, so yeah, my news, my newsletter there is absolutely my favorite way. And then my contact information, my assistant is great about sending, sending one questions or any comments. Um, so yeah, go to my website and newsletter email is fantastic. Well, congratulations on the release of Passion on Park Avenue. And I can't wait to read the next one. I'm going to go and sign so up for much. the ARC right now. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. If you love this conversation, please leave a review or consider supporting the podcast at the link in the show notes. For a list of books discussed in this episode and other fabulous content, sign up for my newsletter at womenwithbooks.com. And remember, keep reading. Keep reading.